0: From FingerLakesOne.com, welcome to another Sunday conversation. I'm Josh D'Urso. This week, we follow up last week's chat with Yates County Sheriff Ron Spike with Cougar County Sheriff Brian Skank. We discussed the summer months, what policing looks like during that period and also the implications of the legislative session which just ended in Albany. It was a fascinating chat and one you definitely will enjoy. Uh, we pick it up with the sheriff outlining what his department's efforts look like in the summer months considering Cougar County has two major bodies of water to patrol and contend with. We,
1: we do see an increase in the number of calls that we respond to in the summertime, and that's due to the fact that more people are out and active and, and doing things they're not Stuck in their homes due to the cold, so we do we do see a increase in the number of calls. We uh, certainly see an increase in the activity out on our lakes as well. So we have boats out on the water, and, and we're uh, dealing with those those issues. And uh, we also uh, have uh, our inmate work crew out doing work out out in the field. Our community services team. So. Uh, we're very busy in the summertime with all of those types of things.
0: What does that look like, I guess, would be the big question.
1: It's very challenging in Cougar County. We do have a lot of lakefront. We have uh, Wasco Lake entirely within our county. We cover a large portion of Cougar County. Uh, we also border Lake Ontario at the north end of our county. So we uh, patrol there and we actually border a small portion of Skinny Atlas Lake. So we have a lot of lake frontage. We do put 3 boats out on the water uh, each year, so we do have a boat on Cuga Lake, on Owasco Lake, and also one on Lake Ontario uh, all summer long. So it is a lot of real estate, a lot of lake frontage, a lot lot to uh, lot to cover. This year has been very challenging with the high water on Lake Ontario. We still don't have our boat actually out on Lake Ontario yet. We're waiting for the water to come down a little bit, but that's been very challenging for us, but we have been busy up there helping with sandbagging efforts with our inmate work crew. So that's uh, that's creating some additional work for us as well.
0: So obviously, this isn't the first time Lake Ontario has seen this this historic flooding. Is there anything, I guess, this time around that, that the Sheriff's Office or different folks who are working up there, from what you've seen, I have learned from two years ago when waters were high and the same sort of scenario played out?
1: We. We've uh, we did learn from from last time that that uh, it's very challenging. We've got to wait for that water to come down a little bit because uh, we encourage boaters not to be out there along the shoreline creating a wake. Um, and so there's a lot less a lot less activity out there. Not as many boats out there. I know the fishermen are still out there fishing, and and some of the charter captains are still out there taking people out, but. Uh, we, we don't want people uh, creating any wakes and we don't want a lot of activity on the shoreline. So our boat's not out there because the water is too high for us to dock our boat and really be out there and, and uh, keep it up there safely. But I'm hoping the water comes down uh, soon and, and we learned from last time eventually it will, but it looks like this year it's going to take a little bit longer than it did in 2017.
0: What does, I guess, what does the patrol look like then or how do you sort of police those areas if you can't have a, a boat in the water yet how does how does that sort of shift and change for you guys
1: if we had an emergency out on the water then we would we would uh, put our boat in the water to deal mm-hmm. with that emergency but as far as routine patrol goes we're not going to do that on the water right now until that that water levels down we also have another concern with floating debris and that type of thing there's a lot of a lot of uh, debris in the lake due to the high water, and, and it's just not a good conducive uh, situation to put our boat out there. And it's the same for other people that are trying to recreationally boat as well. They can't be out there enjoying the enjoying the summer on the water yet.
0: So switching gears, when we talk about CUGA uh, Lake, obviously, um, you sort of have to share that responsibility. And I believe you and uh, Sheriff Luce uh, in Seneca County have sort of worked out a, a system. I'm assuming this isn't the first go around, but um, how how does that sort of relationship work and how does that uh, teamwork between the two departments work out for you guys?
1: Sheriff Luce and I talked about this some time ago, trying to uh, combine our efforts uh, in the patrol duties out on Kuga Lake because we both we both share lake frontage, we're both out there, oftentimes with a boat at the same time. And then there might be other times where we don't have a boat out there. So right now we're sharing schedules, our, uh, our lieutenants uh, on both sides of the lake that, that uh, take care of our patrol schedules, or sharing those schedules. And the goal is to try to make sure we have as many days covered and at least have one boat out on the water as many days as we can, uh, shift responsibilities so that we, we can uh, make sure we've got plenty of coverage out there. And we've actually uh, teamed up with Seneca County with the Sheriff's Office this year to for some uh, training for our, for our navigation staff. Sheriff Luce hosted some training here recently and we sent three of our members uh, to that training. So we're trying to share um, share in the training as, as well. So it's, I think it's going to be a great partnership. And as we move forward, I think it'll be very beneficial for, for both of us and, and those that we serve on the lake.
0: So now that you have a little bit of time under your belt, uh, as sheriff, uh, what are some of the things that you've picked up? Some of the, the things maybe you've learned through experience over that time?
1: One of the biggest things I think is how, just how challenging the, uh, the, the struggle with time is it's hard to, uh, meet all of the obligations and, and, uh, Come up with enough time to do everything that you need to do in the course of a day. There's certainly a lot of a lot of meetings and a lot of uh, a lot of work that comes along with that job. And but uh, I do I do enjoy it. I'm uh, I'm learning how to delegate a little bit more. So um, that's something that you have to do. And uh, but but it's going well. I think the, I think the time was the, the biggest surprise for me. Even though I knew I would be busy, it's a, it's a very busy position, but I do love it. With part-time staff, we actually have upwards of 175 people, so it's a it's a it's a large number. But yeah. uh, it can be uh, it can be somewhat uh, difficult to manage at times. But I wouldn't say it's overwhelming. I have some great administrative staff that work uh, with me. If I didn't have them, it, it would be unmanageable. But uh, I've got a great team with me that helps helps deal with that. So it, it's uh, it's been quite a learning experience. But it's I believe it's going very well.
0: And when we look at the geography of a county like Cayuga, um, how, how do you approach that without letting or making any part of any individual community or any part of the county feel um, less important or maybe forgotten than other parts? I'm
1: trying to do my best to, uh, to be accessible. Um, I've, I've shared my contact information in a number of ways through social media, our website, and something that I started doing this year that I'm, that I'm proud of is, is attending town hall and village meetings throughout the county periodically. Uh, my goal is to attend at least two per month, and actually tonight I'll be in the town of uh, Moravia at their board meeting at 6.30 p.m. to make myself accessible to the community residents in those areas and I'm trying to do that throughout the entire county so that if somebody has a public safety concern or an idea or would just like to uh, discuss any issue with me that, that they can come out to their town or village meeting and do that. And along the way, I'm, I'm certainly sharing all of my contact information and, and letting people know, don't be afraid to reach out to me directly if I, can, if I can be of assistance. And if it's something that I can't help you with, I'm certainly going to do my best to uh, get you in the direction Um, where where uh, somebody can help you
0: when you go to those town halls and those meetings what are some of the common things that you're hearing
1: one of the biggest concerns that that I've seen is uh, concern about uh, aggressive driving speeding Uh, it's a problem everywhere Uh, many community residents have told me uh, that they've had issues with people whether it's speeding by their house or if they live near a stop sign maybe some you know oftentimes they'll see people aggressively drive through that 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 area without stopping so i have to say that traffic safety is one of the one of the biggest concerns at each of the town halls and when i hear those things we we we're, we're trying to target those areas where where there are some concerns so I've been uh, putting our deputies in touch with the individuals directly that have those concerns and making sure that they can connect with the person that has the problem and working together, hopefully they can solve that. But uh, unfortunately we can't be everywhere all of the time and I know that, uh, that a lot of people are out there driving aggressively and, and uh, unfortunately using cell phones while they're driving, that type of thing. So I urge people to you know slow down and, and don't drive so aggressively, but, but we are going to be out there working to enforce uh, the traffic law in those problem areas when we hear about them.
0: How difficult is it in law enforcement in general uh, when you're having to jump from perhaps uh, dealing with aggressive driving or, or a speeding infraction or something that, uh, of that like to maybe five or 10 minutes later, a full-blown narcotics. Uh, investigation. How do you balance the two and how do you uh, keep your deputies uh, nimble enough, I guess, to be able to jump between the two?
1: Well, it can be very difficult, but we have to prioritize. So we have to uh, prioritize if it's an emergency situation or something we need to get on right away. Certainly, we're going to focus our resources on that area. But if we have some downtime after dealing with that situation and can get back to the traffic enforcement or do some proactive work like that. Um, we're obviously uh, going to do that. But that can be very challenging, and I have to say, that's what makes this job so great. I love the fact that it's dynamic, it's always changing, and I I have to admit I I miss being out there on the road uh, at times doing some of that kind of thing, but uh, that's what makes this job so exciting. It's different every day, and and, uh, I love it.
0: Every time you come in, I've had Sheriff Vertz in here, I've had Sheriff Luce in here. Um, Every single member of law enforcement that I talk to uh, says that recruitment is a major concern. Current state, given the way things are right now, right this second, um, is there anything that you're seeing that gives you a little bit of confidence or hope um, that those recruit no- those recruiting numbers will improve over the next several years?
1: I do have some some hope. I, I, I see the great things that our law enforcement agencies are doing, especially on social media. If you track our agencies on social media, every agency in the area and, and really statewide and nationwide they're doing so many great things out there in the community not just our law enforcement efforts but being connected with the community and i i think of all of the things that we're involved with just last week we were, we were involved with the law enforcement torch run for special olympics a number of our members ran and participated in that and and i know a lot of law enforcement agencies here locally did the same thing but i i think that when it comes to recruiting, I think people are going to start to see that, you know, this is an exciting career. It is dynamic. It, there's always always something different to do every day, but also at the same time, we're giving back to our community. We're doing great things, and it's very rewarding, and I think I think as people start to see uh, those things, they're going to have more of an interest in, in a law enforcement career, and I, it's been a great career. I would encourage anybody uh, to take a look at this and, and like most agencies here locally we're giving our law enforcement test on september 14th our entry level exam uh, to be a police officer so i would encourage uh, anybody that has some type of interest to sign up for the exam or or reach out to uh, me or or any chief or member of any law enforcement agency and get some more information about the job and how you can do it that's another challenge in and of itself but uh, i think that uh, it's important that Leading the department, that that your staff, uh, right right from the new recruit in the academy all the way up through your seasoned veterans, uh, you need to uh, you know make them feel like the you know they're part of the department. Uh, make them uh, make them feel like uh, it's a place that they want to work at. Make them feel like they're part of the team. I work very hard to make sure that our staff uh, feels like the, they're part of part of a a bigger team that uh, we're accomplishing great things and and I want to encourage them to share their ideas and be part of the decision making process and not just feel like it's a job but uh, create opportunities where they can feel like they're giving back to the community and and, and doing things that are very rewarding and keeping the job fresh and new and I think that that's key I know that uh, uh, all of our law enforcement uh, agencies throughout the area we're competing for a much smaller pool of of uh, people that are taking these exams and it's it is hard to keep people and, and attract people but we're gonna to have to work harder to make sure that we do that uh, because it's going to be much more challenging as the years go on
0: when you look at your own staffing levels right now uh, is the cougar county sheriff's office up to snuff or where you where you're comfortable at least we're,
1: we're doing okay we do currently have four people uh, in various academies mm-hmm. uh, for the road patrol division uh, we have uh, five open positions in our jail so we're working uh, to hire some people for the jail and we're going to be hosting an academy uh, for custody at our office in september to fill those spots so um, we do have two additional patrol positions that uh, that that, uh, we're trying to fill as well so we're we're keeping our head above water i'm not at a place where i would like to be but at the end of this month uh, actually next week we're going to have three of those uh, new recruits coming out of the police academy so that's going to help us get our numbers up there a little bit but um, I'm anticipating some retirements here moving forward. So it, I think it's going to be a constant challenge. I think we're going to be, uh, hiring and, and working with the Academy to get people trained as we move forward. So I'm, I'm not exactly comfortable, but I know that other agencies are, are in a more difficult spot than we are right now. So I think we'll be okay.
0: And, and one of the programs that you've talked a lot about that we've talked a lot about here, um, the school resource officer program, that's one of the ones that you've seemed to be pretty proud of Um, in terms of just seeing the progress. And obviously when it comes to uh, developing relationships with young people, that's a great way to to get that ball rolling. Um, How has that effort gone thus far in Cuyahoga County for you? Uh, And then where do you see the opportunity to sort of continue to grow the SRO program uh, more broadly?
1: We still currently have a a student resource officer, an SRO in the uh, BOCES campus just outside of Auburn. And, and I anticipate that he'll be there for some time. I am in discussions with the Union Springs School District to try to work out a solution and give them some options to bring a school resource officer there. I'm not sure how how that may work out, but we're working together to come up with some options. And I know some of the other schools do have some security guards and resource officers, but I've encouraged our road patrol people uh, to stop by schools when they can and take a walk through and, and drive through the parking lot and even get out of the car and walk through the walk through the school when they can. I, I would love to have a, a deputy in each, each school, uh, but for budgetary reasons, that, that can be challenging. But uh, even if we don't put a full-time deputy at the school, I've encouraged our people and will continue to encourage our people to be involved with the local schools and make sure that their presence is, is seen there because uh, not only for safety and security reasons, but I want students to... Uh, uh, you know, feel, feel, feel secure and look up to us and build those personal relationships. And uh, I recently uh, attended a career day at, at Cato High School at the northern end of our county and mm-hmm. spoke to the students about a career in law enforcement. And I love getting out there and doing those types of things and encouraging our members to get out there and, and do those uh, types, types of uh, events at the schools, just so we can keep ma- maintain those relationships. And, and I think it's a very positive thing.
0: What do you hear when you talk to young people? When you talk to those high school students, maybe even college students, or, or younger middle school students, um, a, as you have the opportunity, what, are, what do you hear? What are some of the things you hear um, when they're thinking about law enforcement and what law enforcement is, and then also, uh, to that end, what a career in law enforcement might look like?
1: I think a lot of a lot of kids are surprised to know just how many areas that you can you can. Uh... Look at when it comes to a law enforcement career It's not just getting in a police car and and going out and writing traffic tickets or arresting the bad guys or bad girls There's so many other areas you can go you can be a canine officer. You can work a navigation detail You can be a member of a SWAT team or um, in our custody division You can work in the jail and and be member of a, a member of a specialized teams that a specialized team that that deals with high risk incidents in the jail and there's so many different avenues that you can go in law enforcement that it's really endless uh, we have atv patrols we have snowmobiles we have uh, all types of different uh, things that we do and i think the kids are very surprised to hear about all of those things that you can actually do while working in a in a in a law enforcement career it's not just driving around in a patrol car there's lots of exciting areas that you can explore
0: So when when you look at, obviously, uh, students are on social media in in droves. Most students, most kids, teens are on social media. Um, When they see the things that different law enforcement uh, agencies are posting, on social media, that the, whether it's a request for the public's assistance or whether it's some of the events that you uh, that you talked about earlier that you guys are involved in, um, does that help sort of bolster that image across the board for the whole community?
1: I think it does absolutely, and and I think you and I spoke before. I'd like to expand our social media presence because as times going on, I've, I'm finding more and more people are are relying on social media for their information and their news and. Uh, not just young, uh, young people, but, but everybody. So I think that that does help us because we, we, uh, we put a lot out there about what we're doing out in the community um, because I want people to see what we're doing. But I think that does help uh, folks that are interested in a law enforcement career uh, see just uh, you know, all of the great things that they can be involved with if, if they take this career path, not just with our agency, but uh, you'll notice that with most any agency here locally.
0: And now to that end, do you think there will come a point where uh, law enforcement has to start looking more, uh, more intensely at training um, their deputies and their, their staffs to better handle social media and better handle the different pieces of technology um, ultimately that they're going to be interacting with on a daily basis that maybe weren't part of the sort of 101 academy classes that they took uh, you know, five, ten years ago?
1: I think that we are going to have to look at social media and how we train our people to deal with it. I can say that I think that, uh, you know, and I, I laugh. I look at my, my young kids. They know so much about social media, and I'm always asking them how to use it. I think some of our younger folks that might be coming into this career field will already know much more about social media than, than many of us in the administration uh, know about it. But one of the challenges I can see moving forward is we occasionally will receive reports of certain incidents on our social media platforms, so we do note on them that they are not uh, monitored uh, 24/7 where there's not somebody watching them all the time so we encourage people to make reports to 911 or call our dispatch center if they need assistance but I can see moving into the future that I that we're going to have to be much more prepared to answer those requests for help from those social media platforms and make sure that we're that we are on top of those so moving forward that's going to be a challenge for us
0: okay I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I it had just popped into my head that a lot of counties have gone to a 911 by text type service. Um, is that the next that You kind of, you, you talked about it a little bit there, but um, do you see a point where uh, if a sheriff's office or if a police department receives a, a message on Facebook, that that will have to be processed at some point down the road, uh, the same way that a 911, a call to the dispatchers would be, or a call to, uh, or a text message to a 911 center? Do you think there will eventually be sort of that um, parallel platform?
1: I could I could see that happening and, and I think that's due in large part to the fact that so many people are accessing their social media um, pages and, and accounts all of the time so I, I can see that as being something that that would be utilized uh, in potentially in an emergency to make a report but um, we, we're not prepared for that yet. So again, I have to encourage people, don't use that as a way to report an emergency. You should still should should contact 911. But moving forward in, the, in our digital age, I could see that uh, being a platform where we will be taking reports that way.
0: So in theory, I'm just, I'm really curious about this. Uh, if you were kind of game planning this out, if starting tomorrow, you were going to have to answer all of the requests or answer any request in theory that would come through a social platform, um, what would the manpower increase? What would that manpower increase look like, or what would the necess- What would it necessitate um, if you guys were to start answering those calls and answering all of those, not just in within an hour or two hours, like what most response time is on fa- with Facebook pages, but uh, to respond in the moment when the message is received?
1: That would certainly take some additional resources and additional manpower, and I'm not sure exactly how that would look, but. Uh, we might need to integrate that that into our 911 center somehow so they can monitor that but that would take a lot of time for somebody to be continually you know looking at that page and determining if if anybody's reached out to it but uh, you know that's an interesting uh, discussion for down the road and we're going to have to try to determine you know how we can handle those kind of things if we continue to move in that direction
0: mm-hmm. and and when you uh, curious when you guys when you're talking about social media platforms what are the platforms that you guys use now, and what are the ones that you guys are sort of looking at? As I'd like to, I'd like to start using this.
1: We're currently using uh, Facebook regularly. Uh, I actually personally, uh, I have a, a Twitter page uh, as sheriff uh, that I put my information out on, and uh, I have a personal Instagram page. I'm learning a little bit about Instagram. I think that we've got a, we've got to move our department towards towards Instagram. So we're going to be bringing those, the, those other platforms on down the road here. But we do have a Twitter page with the sheriff's office that's uh, slowly uh, building steam. But Facebook has been the primary social me- media platform that, that we've been
0: using. And sort of as we wrap up here, when you look forward, when you look at the next, uh, say, two years, um, what is the biggest change that, that you feel as of now is coming um, that law enforcement really does have to start to prepare for? Obviously, a lot of debate right now uh, as legislative session wraps up about legalization of marijuana. Um, doesn't look like it'll happen. It could happen. Um, but what is one of the things that you guys are sort of watching that could mean be a very big change for what you guys do on a daily basis?
1: Well, as you just mentioned, some of the legislative changes that are coming down the pike, I'm, I'm believing that we will see legalized recreational use of marijuana coming in the future. That's going to create many challenges for us, especially uh, dealing with with people that are driving under the influence. In January of 2020, we, we have some changes in the law in regards to bail reform. Uh, those are going to create some some challenges for us, some very difficult challenges, but there is a lot of legislation coming down the, the road here, a lot of different changes. It's been kind of hard to keep up with, but when you talk about the challenges, I think that they will be some of the, some of the biggest challenges that we're going to see is dealing with, with some of the changes in, in the laws.
0: Bail reform, you mentioned it. What What is the biggest implication for you guys on that side in terms of what, what we do know is coming now or what we expect to see coming, uh, come next year?
1: With bail reform, there'll be uh, a change in the law that will, uh, won't allow us to uh, basically uh, or actually allow the courts to put bail on certain offenses if somebody's arrested and arraigned for those offenses. And uh, for some of those, I, I'm not certain that uh, that I agree with the legislation as it's coming down. There are certain cases, for instance, uh, burglary in the second degree. If somebody burglarizes your house, they could potentially be be released uh, back out into the community to, to go do that again, uh, given the the change in the legislation. Uh, there are certain scenarios that, I, that I'm thinking about that... Uh, it would be difficult to deal with somebody and not be able to arraign them and potentially uh, have a judge put bail on them. and So there, there's going to be some, some difficult challenges with that. I think there are certainly times when it's appropriate for somebody to be arraigned and incarcerated pending their charge with some bail. Uh, there are certainly times uh, that i that I don't think that that's necessary. and and perhaps we we uh, did need some reform in those areas. I don't disagree with that. I think it's just a little too too broad, and there will be situations now and some serious crimes where uh, somebody will 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 potentially be accused of committing those and and will not will not have bail or will not be uh, incarcerated until, until the charge is dealt with.
0: What's the law enforcement perspective uh, when you sort of weigh these these different issues? And, and it seems like the sensible solution would just be to apply more discretion or allow for more discretion and make things less black and white when uh, legislatively we seem to be moving in the opposite direction, which is make things more black and white, allow for less wiggle room. Uh, seems to be how we got into their, how this problem was created in the first place. I, what's law enforcement's perspective there?
1: I think it's very clear that, that we are losing a lot of our discretion, and uh, I, I'm not uh, I'm not comfortable with that. I think that uh, we we have to trust in our law enforcement agencies. We have to trust in our officers, and I think oftentimes uh, legislation is is coming to try to correct. An issue that uh, you know maybe isn't as broad as some people think, or maybe maybe there there's really a better way to deal with that issue than such a broad legislative change that takes away our discretion. But in many ways, our hands are being tied with some of these new changes in the law that are, that are coming down the road here, and and uh, I, I don't believe, in, in oftentimes, that that's the right way to handle those things.
0: And one of the questions that we saw pop up on social media before we uh, sat down for this interview was. Um, with the recent news that uh, undocumented immigrants would be able to obtain licenses, does that make any part of the policing effort easier in terms of identifying people? Obviously, taking the politics out of it, does that does it translate at all to uh, an easier means to figure out who law enforcement is dealing with when they're out there on the road?
1: I'm very concerned, and I don't know how this is going to be handled yet, but. I'm concerned that our local Department of Motor Vehicles, our DMVs, are not going to have the tools they need to verify documents that undocumented aliens are going to be able to present to get an actual driver's license. So my concern is, if somebody presents a document from, a, from another country that's not a valid document and ultimately winds up with a, with a valid state New York State driver's license, Uh, With an ID, you know, and maybe that's not that person. I don't I don't know that it is going to make our job easier So I'm not sure how those documents are going to be validated yet. I have some concerns about how this is going to be implemented and uh, so I I, I Just not real comfortable with how this uh, how this is going to happen and I also have some concerns with the with the fact that uh, we won't be able to to cooperate or work with federal Authorities on immigration issues um, in these situations, we won't be able to share information, and it just uh, it puts us against us against them in certain situations. So I, I don't like the fact that we can't help federal authorities uh, enforce federal uh, immigration laws in this situation. We can't share information that we obtain from the DMV relative to these these cases. So there's a number of issues, and and I just have to look and see how this implementation is going to go before I can form an actual opinion.
0: Appreciate the time. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thank you for having me, Josh. I appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks for listening along. If you have to this point, new episodes of the podcast are published every Sunday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, the FingerlakesOne.com onecom app, which is available for Android and iOS devices. Special thanks to our guest and of course, the team at FingerlakesOne.com onecom who make this all possible. I will see you next week.